Heavenly Father, we thank you for prayer. Thank you that we can come to you in prayer. We can come freely. We can come confidently because of the Lord Jesus. Thank you that because of him, the way is open. We have access to you, our great, awesome, holy God. We come to you, a God who loves the world, who loved the world so much that you sent Jesus to make the way possible through the cross for us to come to you, a way for us to be saved, to be rescued from our sin. Father, we thank you that you love us so much. And Lord, that's a love and a work that the world needs to hear about. Father, help us this morning as we think about this passage, think about prayer, think about praying for people, praying for the society. You would help us to develop the heart that you have for the world so that we can pray for them, that they would come to know you. Help us this morning. And bless your word to us and speak for your glory. Amen. Well, we're coming to the end of our summer series, looking at prayer, looking at what can we pray for. We've covered various topics over the last few weeks. This is the last one. And we're thinking about praying for all people, praying for society. I want you to, first of all, think about a time when you sit down to pray. Maybe in the morning you get up and you pray, maybe once the kids have gone to school, perhaps in the evening after work, maybe before you go to bed. Prayer for your, on your, by yourselves, but prayer in, in small groups, prayer in church, different times when you pray and think about who is it that you want to pray for? Who are the people that you pray for? Some of you may have a list, a prayer list, that's a good thing. Maybe you're given a list in a prayer meeting. Who is on the list? Sometimes it can be hard, can't it, to think about who do I pray for? You sit down and you think, gosh, there are so many people I could pray for. Where do I begin? But eventually, perhaps you get to pray and you pray for family members. You pray for your friends. In church meetings, we pray for one another. We pray for one another in our home groups. Perhaps we pray for people further afield. Maybe we know of circumstances of our um, people we know somewhere else that have particular need for prayer. Whoever we pray for, we tend to pray for the people that we know. And that's good. But when I think about the different people that I pray for, when I think about the people I, I bump into every day of my life, I know that my list is quite short. There are many people I miss off my prayer list. Neighbors I bump into on the streets. Local business owners I say hi to on my way to work. Maybe for you it's parents at the school gates. People you live with. People who live in the same complex as you. Your work colleagues. Your teammates. How often do we pray for all these types of people? And what about the people that we don't actually meet but have a large influence on our lives, our day-to-day -day living? By that I mean people who lead, people who govern, rulers, people who have some kind of authority in society. So our local councillors, for example, members of parliament, people who have the power to make decisions that influence our lives. People who actually have some kind of power to affect the freedoms 
that you and I have, that Christians have, to simply live and speak for Jesus. Now it's good that often on a Sunday morning when people come to pray, we do pray for the government, we pray for the Queen, we pray for local community. And we should continue to do that. But how much is that part of our own regular prayers? How much is it part of other prayers that we do as a church? How dear are the people in our community to us? How much do we care for the souls in our society? Paul's command to Timothy in the passage we've read is to pray for all people, to pray for everyone, it seems. He does focus in on praying for kings, for those in authority, but don't miss the command to pray for all people. The original title for this sermon was Pray for Leaders when I came up with it. But as I studied the passage, I realized that that's a part of it, but it's much, much bigger than just praying for leaders. So we're calling it Pray for All People or pray, Prayers for Society. Paul's command is probably not pray for every single person in the whole wide world individually because we don't know everybody. But the idea is focus on the big and not the small. Pray for all, not just a few, not just those you like, not just those you know, not just those you think deserve prayer, not just those who are in our little sphere of life. I wonder whether Paul is focusing on this for the church in Ephesus, particularly where Timothy is, is because they were a people who were a little self-absorbed, a little elitist. You can look back at chapter 1 and verse 3, and you see that the church there loved to have debate. They loved to have theological discussion, which is okay, but it was at the expense of neglecting the advancement of the work of God, proclaiming the gospel, seeing people come to faith. There were people perhaps in the church who, who still believed that actually God's only going to save the Jews. Or God's only going to save a specific people who, are, who have this special revealed knowledge, as some people thought. And so their prayers, if they did pray, were narrow. But Paul's emphasis for them is to pray for all people. And of course, all people, as, we've, as we saw when we read the passage, is the heart of God, isn't it? Verse, chapter 2, verse 3, what do we see about God's heart? That he wants all people to be saved, for all to come to a knowledge of the truth. So as we get into the passage today, I want us to think about our prayer list. Who do we pray for? And I want us to grasp that the command to pray for all people, to pray for society, is a command that flows from God's heart, from his desire for all people. So firstly, Let's be a people who pray for all people, pray for our society. Paul tells the Ephesians through Timothy to pray, but notice he doesn't just say pray. He says, I urge you first of all that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. He urges them to pray all kinds of prayers, as we saw last week in Ephesians, including prayers of thanksgiving, it's the church's responsibility to bring people to God. 
And Paul uses all these different types of words that we can think of to describe prayer. And there will be little nuances between the different words. But the main thrust is bringing people to God. It's speaking on behalf of them, interceding, standing in the place, even pleading perhaps to God for the sake of the people that are around them. Paul wants us to petition, to make supplication, to ask God to meet the needs of the people, to request of him. God is the one we pray to because God is the one who is in control. He is the one who can make a difference. He is the one we bring our requests to. Think of the role of a trade union during an industrial action. A company, for example, has some unhappy employees. Perhaps their working conditions need improving. Maybe it's not a safe place to work. Maybe that they desire more money. And they don't believe that their employers are listening to their demands. And so as they try to work out a deal, they go on strike. And so you may have seen it. People standing on the picket line and their representatives in the trade union, what are they doing? Well, they're meeting with the bosses. They're passing on the workers' concerns. They're requesting help. They're asking for more money, whatever it might be. Sometimes it works. Often it doesn't. But what is the trade union doing? They are interceding. They are speaking on behalf of the employees, asking the bosses to help. And I wonder, in a similar way, we as Christians, we are interceding on behalf of people, people who need Christ. We know Christ. God's called us to intercede on their behalf to him. Of course, to the God who, like the bosses, has the authority, the power to change lives, to change circumstances, to provide. But of course, a God who, unlike the bosses, is willing, is loving, is generous, who wants to serve the people, who wants people to be saved. And of course, is that not the ultimate prayer request we should pray for our society, for the people that we know, for the people that we see every day? The greatest need people have is to be saved. That's one of the main reasons the church exists, is to proclaim the gospel to the people come to Christ. Do you pray for people's salvation? Is people coming to the knowledge of the truth and the gospel a priority when we pray? As we look at these verses, we see from verse 1 and 2 that Paul doesn't actually tell us exactly what to pray. There's no word on the content He says, pray for people, pray for kings and those in authority. But whatever the prayer is, the result of our prayer is that it will lead to living peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. Now, we can pray for peace and quiet in our society. We can pray that God would help those who lead and guide them to make wise decisions. We should pray that God would help them to protect the freedoms of Christians. But I think Paul means something a little bit bigger here. 
prayers that will lead to peace are prayers for good governing, yes. But why not good governing that comes from people who are saved? And isn't it God's salvation what Paul goes on to describe in the rest of the paragraph? God's heart, it's good and pleasing that all are saved, verse 3. Paul calls us to pray for all, to pray for their salvation. To pray that society would be peaceful in Christ. So what does Paul, what does it actually look like to pray for all people? Well, negatively it means not only praying for those we want to. Not only praying for those that we know. It means praying for all people. For those around us. For those we don't know. For those we don't like. For those who we never think about praying for. To pray for those in authority, as Paul talks about here. Now, we're never going to be able to pray for everybody that we know ourselves, or those that we come in contact with. But is it possible that as a church, we can do a better job at praying for our local community? Praying for all the people in society? What if we were more proactive in naming names to God, bringing people groups, bringing parts of our society, interceding on behalf of businesses, lifting up the needs of those who are poor and vulnerable in society? What if we engaged with local activities in prayer, community issues? Do we pray for Otwig? Do we pray for County Road Carnival? What about if we walked up and down the streets and prayed for people in the houses? We have no idea who they are, but they live in our community and they don't know Christ. Would if we did those things, would we be praying in one sense for all people in a way that Paul calls us to? I wonder if praying for all people means that as, as each of us as individuals, as we share together of the people we know, of the needs we're aware of, that other people don't, that we're praying for all people. God has put you in a specific place in this city. You live on the street where you live. We socialize in different contexts. We rub shoulders with all sorts of different folks in our week. I wonder, amongst us all, we will cover hundreds of people in our community. And in one sense, if we pray for them, we will be praying for all people. Paul said, pray for all people, but then he does specify, secondly, to pray for those in authority. I mentioned before that we do regularly pray for those in authority on a Sunday morning, and that's great. But I know for me, personally, I rarely pray for the government. I rarely Remember current and national affairs. As Matthew said at the beginning of the service, we hear of all that goes on in our world, but do we pray for it? Surely such people who have great responsibility, who have great power, need prayer. They need God. They need our prayers not because we have the power to change, but because God has the power to change, and it's God's heart to want to do it. 
the religious leaders in Paul's day, well, they, they hated Christians. They wanted to kill the church. Political leaders, especially the emperor, particularly when Paul was alive, the boss at the time persecuted Christians. And yet Paul says, pray for them. Right now in the UK, we're in the middle of Brexit negotiations. They will affect us in, in different ways. Do we pray for it? There are bills and laws being discussed, even passed, that go against the Bible. As we thought about a couple of weeks ago, we face an increasing pressure as Christians to conform to society, to compromise our faith. Government has the power to influence freedoms that we have as Christians. Nationally and internationally, again, as we heard earlier on, we face regular terrorist attacks and the list goes on and on, doesn't it? There's so much happening. Are we praying for it? Do we pray for society? So many people. Do we pray for them? Of course, as well as praying for our leaders, Paul wants us to give thanks for our leaders too. And as we think about our history in this country, we do need to give thanks. There are many freedoms that we have as Christians because of those in authority. We should be thankful for our current queen. Let's give thanks for her faith. Let's pray for Prince Charles because if he does become king, he doesn't want to be defender of the faith. He wants to be defender of faith generally. Let's pray for our leaders. And as we do, Paul tells us that it will result in peaceful quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now, Alison and I just had a few days away without the boys in Greece, and our prayer for that time was that we would live peaceful and quiet lives for three or four days. But I don't think that Paul means that the end goal of our prayers is that life would be easy, that we can sit down and put our feet up, but that there would be peace, peace from war and fighting regarding the faith, quiet from hassle and opposition, peace from having to flee from persecution, from facing restrictions from what we can and we can't do, peace that we can live freely as Christians, to live in godliness, to live in holiness. The Lord's Prayer tells us to pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Persecution will come, yes, we saw that two weeks ago, and it will keep coming until Christ returns. But that doesn't mean that our prayer isn't that God would do a work amongst the leaders of our world to bring peace for the sake of the gospel. Those who suffer for the name of Christ would prefer the church grow in freedom rather than persecution, freedom to worship, freedom to speak about Jesus. But of course, again, praying prayers that there would be peace is not the end goal. If there was peace and quiet in society, if there was freedom to preach the gospel, more would hear about Jesus. More would come to the knowledge of the truth, as Paul says here, and they would trust in Christ. 
if we took this prayer request to its extreme, to pray that God would save many and that society would be radically changed, at peace with God, that those in authority give complete freedom for people to live in godliness and holiness, it would almost be like heaven. Wouldn't it be amazing if partly through our prayers for those in society that we would see people become Christians? We would see leaders become Christians. People in our community who have influence worshipping God. Do we pray? Do we dare to pray such bold prayers? It's God's heart for people to be saved. He wants us to have that heart too so that we will pray that they would come to know Christ. Paul tells Timothy in verse 1, he urges him, I urge you, first of all, it's almost that this is the most important thing of all he's going to say in the rest of his letter. Pray. Pray for the society. society. I'm struggling with that word this morning. We need to pray because People in the community don't know Christ. As Ian said last week, we're in a spiritual battle. People hate Christ. They hate us and what we stand for. So even when we proclaim the gospel, we need God and his power to be at work to change hearts, to stop the devil and his schemes. We're saved Thank God that we've come to a knowledge of the truth by his grace showing us it. The greatest thing we can do for our community is pray that God would do the same for it. Our desire here at Morden Road Church is that we would be a beacon of light in East Oxford and the world. We can do mission. We can buy a building. We can put on events. But friends, if we do not pray... Let's pray for people because it flows from the heart of God. God desires that all people are saved. Look back, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and let me read all these verses again just to remind ourselves of what Paul says. Verse 1, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people, This has now been witnessed at the proper time, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. And a true and faithful teacher to the Gentiles. Gentiles, another way of saying is nations, all people. God wants all to be saved. Now some have wondered whether by all people, Paul really means all kinds of people. He may well have that in mind due to the Ephesian Christians' elite, elitist thinking. 
But sometimes there is a fear that by teaching all people, that we're teaching universalism, that God will actually save all people. Of course, the Bible doesn't teach that all will be saved. Sadly, many will reject Christ. Even Jesus, when he preached, people turned away from him. That doesn't stop God from having a desire for all people to be saved. People are saved by believing in Christ. Verse 6, Jesus died, paid a ransom for all people. His death is sufficient for all. But of course, it's only effective on those who believe. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is saviour of all people, especially those who believe. Paul may be giving a hint that he wants us to pray for all kinds of people, but that's still encompassed in the wider phrase of all people. God's heart, God's desire, we see again in 2 Peter, the Lord is patient, not wanting any to perish but all to come to repentance. We should pray for all people because God, because God wants all people. We're thinking this morning about the command to pray because it flows from God's heart. And in verse 5, we see that there is only one God. We should pray for all people because they're all under the one God. It's not true that there's a God for you and a God for me, a God for them and a God for us. There's only one God. And there's only one mediator, one way to that God. It's only through Jesus that we have access to that God. It's only through him and what he has done that people will be saved. Think back to the illustration of the trade union. We showed how, as Christians, we are to intercede like the trade unions on behalf of the world, on behalf of society. But of course, it's also true that in a sense, Jesus is like the trade union too. He is the one who mediates for us. He is the one who stands interceding. Paul uses this, this language of being ransomed. We need to be rescued. We're slaves. We're slaves to sin, to death. To Satan, a slave isn't free. There's no way out. But of course, if someone pays a price, that slave can be freed, can be ransomed, can be bought back. We're unable to rescue ourselves. Mission Rescue, the title of our holiday club this summer. We thought about that as we looked at Exodus. God rescuing his people from slavery in Egypt. What is that? It's a wonderful picture of what Christ has done on the cross, ransoming us through his blood. Jesus' death is that payment to buy us back. We can't buy ourselves out of trouble. God can't grant us freedom in our own efforts. There's no other way. We can't mediate for ourselves what would we offer? In chapter 1 of this letter, Paul wonderfully describes the fact that he was just the worst of sinners, and yet Christ even rescued and saved him. 
Chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Friends, we are weak and we are dead in sin. And there's only one who can ransom us. There's only one who can set us free. And so that's what Jesus did. So my question for you this morning is, are you saved? Have you been ransomed? Meaning, have you come to a knowledge of the truth that you are a sinner? That you stand condemned to be eternally separated from God forever? Have you put your trust in Christ, the only mediator, the only way back to God? God's heart is that you would be saved, that you would come to know him. He's provided the way through his son, Jesus. And so come to him today. Trust in him. The good news of the gospel is that God's big business in the world is to save sinners. That's his mission. God wants sinners to repent, to come to him. And this is what Paul has devoted his life to, hasn't he? If you look at the last verse, verse 7, for this purpose, for the purpose of seeing people come to Christ, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, a teacher. Now, we are not apostles. We are not all teachers. Some of us may be heralds. But we are all prayers. So who is on your list? Who is on your list for prayer? Of course, if we have the heart of God, everybody should be on our list. <laughs> it would be a very long list. But let's be a church that, first of all, makes it a priority when we gather together to pray for society, to pray for the community, to pray for our nation, to pray for our world to intercede the world is helpless <clears throat> let's pray for those around us let's pray for the news let's read the paper let's pray for our leaders for those who are in authority let's pray that god would influence them wisely to make good decisions let's pray that they would govern for the good of the community but let's pray that they would be saved let us not live christian lives thinking that the church is doomed. But pray that God would do a work in society to bring change, to bring change in East Oxford, to bring peace in this area. Peace with God and peace with one another. The last point. Let's pray. Even though I was a, once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> he was a trustworthy saying, deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Father, we thank you so much 
that that is your heart's desire to save sinners. Thank you that you made it possible through Jesus Christ who died as a ransom so that through faith in him we can be saved. Thank you for saving us through faith. And Father, we thank you for the wonderful privilege and the great responsibility it is for us to pass on the good news, to be heralds, to tell the world of Jesus. But also the privilege and the responsibility it is to pray for those who do it, as we thought about last week, but also to pray for ourselves, that we would pray for people, to pray for those around us, to pray for our neighbours and our friends, to pray for our leaders. Father, we are weak. We are rubbish. Would you grow within us a heart for the lost, a compassion for those who don't know Christ? Would you urge us to pray? And through our prayers, would you bring peace? Would you bring salvation to many, even here in Oxford, for your glory?